The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Mike Snoonian. And Laura is unfortunately not able to join us today, but she will be back next week. But we are joined by a very special guest today. She is the host of the Books in the Freezer podcast, Stephanie Gagnon. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome, welcome. excited to talk to you. Yay. Um, So this is a comfort horror episode, and we define comfort horror as the scary movies that bring us joy. And today we're discussing a film that brings me a lot of joy and also a lot of terror and some nausea. (laughs) And I cannot wait to talk about it. Stephanie, what movie are we talking about today? We are talking about 2005's House of Wax. Ooh, it's a house of wax. I just lost my mind when they crawled through the poster, essentially. You know, it's yes. so cool. Um, but before we do, we're going to give a brief synopsis in case you haven't seen House of Wax. And we're specifically talking about the 2005 remake starring Jared Padalecki of House of Wax. In case you haven't seen it or it's been a while. So here is your spoiler warning. You just don't get it. The entire spoiler is made of wax. <laughs> I apologize to everyone. All right. The year is 1974. A pot of wax bubbles on a wax-covered stove. A mean mother makes breakfast for her favorite young child in a quiet high chair. A mean father drags in the child's twin brother kicking and screaming. They restrain the child in a high chair that still has blood on it from the last time they restrained him there. Yikes. I I just want to point out, we just call that parenting in the 70s. Really (laughs) no judgment. That was just parenting in the 1970s. (laughs) I think that's how Dr. Spock recommended mm-hmm. you, you know, treat your favorite children. Um, cut to present day and the alt rock stylings of 2005. Paris Hilton and Alicia Cuthbert are discussing Alicia's upcoming internship at InStyle Magazine <laughs> and how she's going to live while working for free, essentially, because that's what unpaid internships are. Um, her boyfriend is Jared Padalecki, a.k.a. Dream Crush, and they're about to go on a road trip, but Alicia's delinquent brother, Chad Michael Murray, is coming too. Jared is not thrilled about it. I promise I'm going to use character names at some point. <laughs> Paris Hilton is dating a guy named Blake, and they make out in his car. Chad is a real Chad and kicks an unhoused person by the restaurant. He has an obnoxious friend named Dalton who won't stop filming everyone. I think it's Dalton. Dylan or Dalton? I- I think it's Dalton. Dalton. I Yeah, I had Dylan for some reason. I called him idiot friend. You for could just a lot go with the that. Synopsis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> people will know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he's like one of the only people that's not on a CW show or an, a wealthy heiress, too. So, you know, he stands out. Um, they're on the way to a football game or something for this road trip. Mm-hmm. On the way, a road closure forces them to take a detour and Paris gets busted giving a little roadhead or perhaps looking for her dropped chapstick. We're never quite sure. Turns out she might be pregnant but is nervous to tell Blake. They decide to pull over and camp out in an area next to Trudy's House of Wax. 
turns out Chad and Alicia are twins. She's the good one and he's the bad one. And I wrote, hmm, thematic. (laughs) He's mad at her because he thinks she ratted him out to the cops for stealing a car, amongst other things. Feels like he's got a lifetime of grievances. He also hates Jared and aggressively does not want to play football with him. I think he's still mad that Rory Gilmore chose Jared over him, but whatever. (laughs) He's kind of a dick. (laughs) Um, A gross smell wafts through the camp, but they will not be diverted from their fashion shows and makeout sessions. Uh Uh-oh, now a big scary truck shines its lights right into the car. Nick, who is Chad Michael Murray, throws his beer bottle at the truck and knocks out the headlight. It goes away, but somehow I don't think this is over. While they sleep, someone stalks the camp and films them. Carly, who is Alicia Cuthbert, goes to investigate but doesn't really see anything. The next morning, or afternoon, because they slept till (laughs) 2.30, I just wrote, ah, college. (laughs) They realize that Jared's car has been tampered with or something. There's an engine thing wrong with it. The car drive thing is not working. While peeing in the woods, Carly and Paris decide to follow the smell they noticed last night, and Carly slides down a hill into a giant pile of animal body parts and some human ones. It's really gross. A local yokel shows up to throw some more deer carcasses into the pile and shows them the hand is just a mannequin. Phew. He says Bo and Ambrose might be able to help them with the car. They make some football fan belt plans. Yokel is going to drive Jared and Carly to the gas station while everyone else goes to the game. So suffice to say, they split up. Important plot development. (laughs) I apologize for this in (laughs) advance. Chad Michael Murray takes his shirt off to give to Carly. It's nice. Um, his obnoxious friend, conspicuously wearing two shirts, blocks her while she changes in front of the yokel. <laughs> I would, I, I'll, I'll defend that. That was definitely, I specifically remember probably a few years before this period, like rocking like a long sleeve tee under a short sleeve tee pretty much yeah, all the, the 2000s- time. We're very layer heavy. Oh, hey, I wore layers all the time. I'm just saying there are several people Mm -hmm. in this crowd wearing multiple shirts. And Chad Michael Murray. In Louisiana. In Louisiana, yeah. But Chad Michael Murray takes one for the team and shows us all his abs. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of like this moment, too, because they all like. Oh, so do I. Yeah, I can understand why. But I like (laughs) them all kind of blocking off. So like the dude couldn't creep on her. Like it was almost like, nope, Mm -hmm. you know, and they weren't. Yeah. Sneaking peaks. I I thought Chad Michael Murray was supposed to be her ex-boyfriend, not her brother, which Mm, I'm sure we'll get into that. Oh, yeah. Well, also with this change, she now joins the like white T-shirt brand of Final Mm -hmm. Girl in the 2000s. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Her her jeans aren't quite as low slung as uh, Jessica Biel, but, you know, they're definitely rocking the same look. (laughs) Um, All right. So Ambrose is the town. And it used to be pretty nice before the interstate came through. The ride to the gas station with Yokel is bumpy, smelly, and knifey. <laughs> they decide to get out and walk the rest of the way, which turns out to be like 15 feet. And then there's yeah. the town, which is essentially a street. Meanwhile, the gang on the way to the game gets stuck in traffic and decides to turn back. Jared and Carly find the gas station, but no one's there. They walk into the church, but there's a funeral going on. Oops. Bo is one of the mourners. He says he'll meet them at the gas station when the service ends. They bicker a little bit, then decide to check out the House of Wax. Inside, someone works on a wax sculpture of boobs. I'm sure the sculpture has other body parts, but they're not important. (laughs) It's just the boobs. (laughs) Jared breaks into the House of the Wax, although it clearly says it's closed. 
The building itself is made of wax and it's extremely creepy. Jared is into it though. And I just kept thinking, Sam Winchester would never let himself <laughs> fall for this. <laughs> All right. We may be mentioning Supernatural a few times in this episode. Uh, Framed newspaper clippings tell the story of Trudy, a local celeb who gets pregnant with her first child. The place is very dusty and doggy, and one of the toys has Vincent carved on the bottom. Jared sits down to play chopsticks on the piano, thus sealing his fate. And I was questioning, is the piano wax? Because that would be really cool. Yeah. I don't know if you can make a wax piano. Carly sees someone moving outside and I said yikes get the fuck out now and where is Dean and Castiel because they would save the day Carly wax investigates some more but gets freaked out and knocks over one of the figures they leave but me thinks it's too late Blake tells Chad an idiot friend to go pick Carly up because he wants to have sex with Paris Hilton also sealing his fate Jerry gets the fan belt from the garage Bo tells them people used to come to the house wax from all over Trudy's husband was a doctor in the big city, but got his license revoked for doing off-the-book surgery. They moved here, and Trudy became a wax star. (laughs) Then she had a couple of kids and a cyst in her brain. She got really sick. They could hear her screaming all over town. The doctor was so upset he couldn't save her that he died by suicide. And the boys got put in foster care. Or did they? Bo takes Jared to a super creepy house to go to the bathroom while Carly waits in the car. Back with Nick, we find out that he didn't steal the car. He was just covering for idiot friend. He's a hot guy with a heart of gold after all. Jared snoops around the house. He finds a bunch of old-timey medical stuff and wax faces and realizes Bo is one of the wax brothers. Carly realizes his truck is the one that menaced them last night. Oh shit, Jared's about to get got. He gets trapped in one of the rooms and someone creepy emerges from a trap door with a bunch of scissors. The creepy person pet cemeteries him in the leg and then stabs him. No, Sam! <sighs> Outside, the jig is up and Carly tries to escape from Bo in his truck, but it gets stuck and she runs back into the town. And I, okay, this is like my real-time reaction to the scene. <laughs> oh God, this scene. Poor Jared gets turned into a living wax sculpture with a horrific machine, and it is awful. Bonus points for the nudity, negative points for the stitches. (laughs) Alicia runs through the town, and all the lights come on around her. She runs into the church and finds the funeral still happening. Everyone in the church is made of wax, or covered in wax, as we just saw Jared get covered in. She bumps into one of the figures, and its corpse arm falls off. Turns out the funeral is for Trudy Waxwoman. Bo finds her under the preacher's robes. He takes her down into a basement of the garage and, oh God, glues her mouth shut. (laughs) The soundtrack provides some helpfully loud music. Brother and Idiot finally get to the garage, but they can't hear her because of the loud music. Idiot Friend is maybe not so bad after all, because he suggests they actually look for his sister. (laughs) They split up to look for Carly and Jared. Chad does find Bo while Carly tries to escape. She tries to get his attention by sticking her finger through a grate. Bo cuts her finger off. She, oh God, rips her mouth back open and screams for help. Holy shit, I am dying. (laughs) Uh, Nick bests Bo and rescues Carly. I'm not sure how that happened because I had kind of shut down. (laughs) Not so bad after all, friend, goes to the house of wax. He sees Wade sitting at the piano, all waxy. He tries to help by peeling the wax off and ends up peeling off his skin. I am now fully dead. (laughs) Vincent wearing a wax mask decapitates a still blinking friend with some pretty cool, pretty badass knives. Carly and Nick, the brother, trying to find people. Turns out everyone in the fucking town is made of wax. It's a town of wax. 
Back to Paris and Blake, who just want to get down in a tent. Paris does a little strip tease. Against all odds, no one says that's hot. <laughs> but she's not actually in the mood. The whole strip tease was to get him excited to find out she might be pregnant. Super weird. <laughs> it is super, it was. super it's a very... <laughs> awkward. Oh, yeah. That's not the, the uh, happy ending he was expecting, I don't think. Um, Blake hears Carly's I'm about to get murdered voicemail and knows something's up, but it's too late. Vincent kills Blake. He chases Paris into a creepy garage or something. Cue Paris Hilton death scene. She's actually pretty resourceful and creates a weapon with a large pipe, but he stabs her in the foot. After she runs away, he javelin throws the very sharp pipe right through her forehead, then records it. Insult to injury. Nick and Carly waste valuable getting away time by arguing. He grabs a crossbow that I'm not sure he knows how to use. They go into a creepy movie theater and watch Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. <laughs> Arrow, geez, there are so many dead wax people in this town. Carly hides while Nick shoots him with a crossbow. Guess he does know how to use it. And I wrote, being hot gets you a long way in the movies. <laughs> They go back to the House of Wax to find out whatever happened to Hunky Jared. While they hide in the house, Bo returns to de-crossbow himself. They see Vincent return with Paris and Blake's bodies. The Wax brothers argue Bo is a dick to Vincent, but then he compliments Vincent on his wax mask. He says they're almost done with what Mama started and that she would be proud. And then we see a, pi a picture of conjoined twins. So Vincent has a facial deformity from the operation to separate them as babies. They go down into the basement and find Nick's friend in the wax machine. He's about to try to get him out when his head breaks off. Oh, it's really upsetting. Then Vincent comes down to fight with them. He's fucking terrifying, and they accidentally turn on all the fires. Nick pours a pot of boiling wax on the floor to create a fire in the floor. While running away, they see Wade, who mercifully looks to be dead now. But Bo is there, and they fight. In the fire, the basement is starting to melt the house of wax. Vincent escapes, and it's now a battle between the hot twins and the wax twins. Carly beats the shit out of Bo and then runs upstairs away from Vincent. Nick tries to follow, but he got stabbed, and the wax is getting very goopy. All the wax is melting, and it's just rotting corpses everywhere. Carly tries to tell him he's not a freak and reason with him. But Nick shows up and rips his mask off. The hot twins team up and stab Vincent. He falls through the wax floor on top of his brother's body. Now the house is for real melting and Nick and Carly are stuck on the top floor. They dig through the wax wall through the house of wax sign as it melts. They escape and watch the whole thing melt into a goopy pile. It is very cool. It's like the wax version of the end of Poltergeist. The next day, the cops are there. The place is really hard to get to, and the Wax Boys have been pulling people off the interstate for years. They have a nice little twin moment in the back of the ambulance, and as they pass Yokel and the dog, we learn that Trudy didn't have two sons. She had three! And then Helena plays over the credits. I fucking love that song. It makes me so happy. Yay! And that is House of Wax! Woo! It's hot. Sorry. Yeah. That's the last time I'm going to do that. <laughs> I think someone does say it in the movie. Do they? Uh, yeah. They. I mean, they would have to. I mean, it takes place know? in like, is it Gainesville, Florida, or is it Louisiana? They're from Gainesville, no. and they're oh. in going to Baton Rouge, okay. so they're in Louisiana. Okay. So, so it, it is, is actually, actually hot, hot there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How a house of wax could stand uh, in that heat? Oh. 
Totally. Yeah. There are <laughs> lots of questions about the wax science here, but yeah, it's cool. So I'm, I'll allow it. All right. And now we're going to do a feelings check. This is when we share our first experience with House of Wax and how it makes us feel when we watch it. And Stephanie, would you kick us off? Yes. Yeah, so I didn't watch this when it came out because I had heard that it was terrible, <laughs> that it wasn't good, that Paris Hilton this, Paris Hilton that. And there was a lot of weird marketing with this kind of around Paris Hilton. So I avoided it for a long mm. time. And then I finally caught it on streaming. I had pretty low expectations and was so pleasantly surprised by how fun it was and the great practical effects. And I just absolutely loved it. And then when I thought I couldn't love it anymore, it just mm. ends on a My Chemical Romance song. And I was like, this is art. Actually. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that song is like the icing on the cake. <laughs> Mike, what about you? Yeah, I avoided this because of Paris Hilton as well. Like, I'm not <laughs> sure why. They, and I was reading the thing, like, they cast her first. And mm -hmm. I just remember her being a surreal phenomenon in the early 2000s. But I don't think, like, people that wanted to watch her being her. They wanted to watch, like, a socialite doing socialite things with her, like, mm. spoiled friends. They didn't necessarily want to see her act. And I remember... She's in an episode of like Veronica Mars season one and like she's the worst thing in that episode. <laughs> she, honestly, she's not terrible here. Like they don't mm -hmm. give her a lot to do. Like she doesn't get in the way of the movie, but it was why I kind of avoided it. Mm -hmm. That and I think like, ah, it's like another remake. Like this is the time when horror was just like, we're going to remake every single movie under the sun, which started with 03 and Texas Chainsaw Massacre starring jessica mm -hmm. beale and that's the other yeah. thing is like it was also the time this movie was a, it had a few things going against it to start like number one doing a slasher movie about four or five years after like the slasher movie boon of the late 90s had kind of like crested and then had fallen by the wayside again and then number two being the 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 trend which still continues of like taking actors from like hit teen soap operas and like putting them in every horror movie which i'm a fan of which yeah it's, 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 it's a thing it. for me it. i yeah. like horror I, what i love about the 80s slashers is you don't necessarily know any of the characters so it's easier to identify mm -hmm. with them um and although there's like super attractive people in those movies they're not necessarily like supermodels mm -hmm. so i kind of avoided this movie for like until watching it on Thursday and just threw it in for the show. And it's a hoot. Like it's a super fun movie and I can totally get why this is a comfort horror movie for, and I did not realize what Juan Cole Serrera, uh, and I'm mispronouncing that as the director. He has direct, not done a lot, but what he's done are absolute bangers. Like he's done orphan, which is one of those Ooh. most fun fucked up movies. He's done the shallows. Um, he did one of the, like the Liam Neeson post um, Taken thrillers where it's like Liam Neeson is a man in his 60s and he'll still kick your ass because right. he needs <laughs> shit to do. Like he's done right. a bunch of films like that. Like everything he's done is pretty much fun. And mm -hmm. this definitely fits that mold. Uh, it's a Hilton aside, like it's a hell of a cast. Um, I mean, you're looking at, you know, Chad Michael Murray and Elisha Cuthbert, who you know, at this point had done like, you know, obviously best known for 24 uh, and basically being like the damsel in distress. Every, every 
season is like how are they going to kidnap kim this season (laughs) but she had done like movies like the girl next door not to be confused with the documentary about the adult film star which is the same name so if you look up that movie you'll get two different things uh and also (laughs) she had a small role in old school as an underage schoolgirl that uh, luke wilson inadvertently sleeps with not underage (laughs) like the shit you could get away with in the early aughts like Mm -hmm. that would not fly today it was a time so had a lot of fun um i am not as big as jared paladecki as others like i think he's fun and supernatural whenever you cast him he just has like zero charisma with the leisha kuthbert <laughs> no like, yeah i yeah. i will talk like about they that. should be the <laughs> yeah. brother sister couple yes totally. and it's kind of it's what's weird same thing like we, he's the romantic lead in friday the 13th mm-hmm. and the same thing he has like no absolutely no charisma with the lead there is is as well he saved all his charisma for jensen kind of like (laughs) in supernatural if i remember the show correctly like jensen ackles like dean is the one that it's always the ladies man and sam is kind of like kind of moping right yeah so he gets down mm -hmm. a couple of times notably but yeah dean is the one he's a tremendously handsome man i don't know what it is about but he just kind of comes off like a bit of a wet mop, you know, not in a, not, I guess how, I don't know if there's a good way to come off as a wet mop. <laughs> he just doesn't have that kind of like leading man charisma. So it wasn't ho- yeah. horrible that he was the first to go, but like great kills in this movie. It's a lot of fun. Definitely enjoyed it. I usually would complain that a movie is an hour and 52 minutes long. <laughs> like that is just mm-hmm. coming from a director that hates the audience at that point. <laughs> And there's no need for it to be over 90 minutes, but I didn't feel like this movie ever dragged. Like it's got like a really zippy pace to it. So uh, I'm super glad it got chosen. Like it's going to be a fun one to kind of chat about here. To melt down to a source. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I had avoided this one also. Um, I didn't really care too much about, um, Paris Hilton at the time but I just thought it looked way too scary like something about the wax mm-hmm. and like the I think the original maybe had this reputation of just being really really skinny in a way that I found really kind of upsetting so I didn't watch it for a long time and I think I only watched it for the first time like a year or two ago but I really dug it I was surprised by how much I liked it and it reminds me a lot of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake in 2003 which I also really enjoy a lot I feel like they kind of have a same kind of energy you know and it could be that everybody is just sweaty and hot all the time and the the um, tank top final girls it's the aesthetic of the time like it was pretty much like there's no auteurism here it's very much like the horror movies of the early 2000s are like the Marvel movies of right now. Like you pretty much use just mm-hmm. Xerox movies. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of point and shoot mm-hmm. at hot people, you know. Um, and I was I actually probably avoided this, too, because I was really over the CW at this point. Like I was a big Dawson's Creek fan, then got really burned out on CWS kind of shows. So I just watched Supernatural for the first time a couple of years ago and then fell in love with Jared Padalecki, although I prefer Dean. Like, if Dean were in this movie and I had to choose between one of them to become wax and one of them to become my boyfriend, I would choose Dean. 
Are you talking about um, Jensen Ackleston or Daniel oh Jensen Ackleston? Okay, and that's a whole other thing. That's a podcast Wait, for another what? day. But yes, I'm talking about Jensen Ackleston. Jared Padalecki's character on Gilmore Girls is named Dean. Ah, uh, yep. okay. For the entire first season of Supernatural, I was like, "What the fuck are we doing?" And he here? fought with Chad Michael this. Murray over over Rory. Rory. I've yeah, never the watched first Gilmore Girls, so yes. It's good. It's a lot better than I was expecting it to be. Like, that was my yeah. first uh, pandemic watch. I'm sure it's you know? great. And it just wasn't a show that was like, yeah. You're not exactly the target audience, I don't think, Mike. You know, so so I understand. Um, but yeah, they fight. Um, Chad Michael Murray, I like him. I think he's cute, but he always seems like a scumbag, you know? He, I mean, you could look <laughs> into like real life how he is. But even in One Tree Hill, where he is like the main protagonist, he starts off okay and then he slowly turns into a scumbag. So mm. it's like kind of everything I've seen him in, he is scummy. Yeah, it's just something about his face, you yeah. know? And like I yeah, I agree. I wish he had been the boyfriend and Jared Padalecki had been the brother, but you know, that's a, another movie. Every time I think of One Tree Hill, there's this like family guy clip where where they're standing at a lake and they're like, high school is such a serious time. These problems matter. <laughs> so that's always what I think about when I see him. Um, I've never watched One we Tree Hill. We could probably do a, a bonus but... show of ranking CW, WB, CW, UPN. I do love One Tree Hill. I will say it. Is I it good? I really liked it. I don't know how well it holds up because yeah. uh, I'm coming at it with some nostalgia. Mm -hmm. But I was a Buffy, Angel, first couple of seasons of Dawson's Creek, and I think first season of Roswell. And that pretty and much. See, I was like out. the later like Gossip Girl, mm -hmm. One Tree Hill. Oh, those. and Veronica Mars, <laughs> yep. which to me is still one of the best first seasons of a show of all time. And I've never seen any of those shows you just oh. mentioned. <laughs> Except Gilmore Girls, Supernatural, yeah, Dawson's Creek, those mm -hmm. are mine. Yeah. And some of yeah. Buffy, but yeah. Well, yeah. it's just, I thought the casting for this was odd in the way that they do have the same dynamic that they had in Gilmore Girls. So, like, mm -hmm. Jared Padalecki is Rory's boyfriend. And then Chad Michael Murray is Tristan, this guy at her school, who Tristan, is an his name. antagonistic mm -hmm. towards Rory. Mm -hmm. and towards Jared Padalecki and is like teasing them because he likes her. So it's odd seeing that same dynamic, but he's supposed to be her brother. And he's like, you do do things like that, don't you, sis? Like uh -huh. he doesn't know how to play it without being romantically charged. Mm -hmm. Totally. Like there's a moment, I think, when they're trying to like convince each other to go back into the house. And I was like, are they going to make out? No, <laughs> they are definitely so the beautiful. siblings that learn how to kiss by practicing on one another. <laughs> and... <laughs> It, you know, I was going to say it is the South. You know, it does take oh, place. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, well, we'll say Louis. I mean, well, <laughs> I was going to say Louis. I, mean, I, I apologize. In story, we're kind of also meant to believe that Wade and Carly are close to breaking up because he yeah. doesn't seem like he wants to go to New York with her. And they're at this crossroads in their relationship. And like this was kind of going to be the trip where they talk about mm -hmm. it. Right. So mm -hmm. they could be ending. But yeah, like no chemistry there. And no. then yeah. ton of chemistry with Chad Michael Murray. I really think, as you were saying, they should have switched them out. Yeah. And then kill the brother off first. Like he can still have that death. Like I kind of like that Jared Padalecki like has a notable death in this movie. Because oh, yeah. I mean, it's like that's something I want to talk about because it fucked me up. But another weird Gilmore Girls connection is that there's a character named Paris in Gilmore Girls and definitely not Paris Hilton, but she's just fantastic. 
She's a lot better yeah. than Miss Paris. They marketed this movie towards Paris dying. Like Paris totally. Hilton had shirts made that said, watch Paris die. Mm-hmm. And on the score, like the score for this movie, when she dies, the song is called Paris Gets It. Not her character name. Yeah. Paris Gets It. It's... Mm. it's- yeah, we talk about the movie. Let's yeah, definitely there's, talk there's about a lot there. that because yeah. I don't want to say we did Paris Hilton dirty. I might be going a step too far, but I think that um, as a culture, I think we have failed in some ways when that's yeah. kind of what we, we we root for. That's how, mm-hmm. yes, like, yes. Lots to say there. <laughs> but before we do, it looks like the movie discussion is unlocked. Surely it's fine if we just mm-hmm. walk right on in, right? As Jared Padalecki does oh, multiple man. times. So I many mean, times. <laughs> seriously. Like every door he sees. Totally. Sam Winchester. He plays kind of like a bumbling idiot a little bit. Like he's like, oh, a horsey carcass thing in a butt, you know? Like I feel like he could have saved himself by just using his head a little more and not being so into wax, but you know. Um, well, let's start with Paris Hilton since we were already kind of talking about it. I actually don't think she's bad in this movie. Uh-huh. I just don't think she has a whole lot to do, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I think uh-huh. the whole like she might be pregnant is a weird. Um, I- I'm not sure why that's in this movie. You don't really nope. need it. Although I enjoy seeing characters wrestle with the decision to have a child. But, you know, I, I think it's just so you feel a little more when she dies, possibly. Yeah. But it's just so hard to believe her like it, also why would his parents not let Blake marry her I thought that was a funny little line too like he's not gonna marry you his parents won't let him like, I think he's supposed to be rich like he just bought that nice truck mm. like he's wealthy and he's bringing Chad Michael Murray along because it helps him feel tough mm. so he's probably like this really rich spoiled sheltered kid I mean he does kind of seem like that yeah um, but yeah, I feel like she's she's fine in this movie. She just doesn't yeah. do much. Her death is fine, you know? I think it was supposed to be more, and then it got mm. edited down. Because be... she's not good in it. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this wasn't the launch pad for her movie star career. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, the yeah. whole strip tease scene, too, is so weird because, and I don't know a lot about strip teases, but Come on, my <laughs> understanding is like it is a buildup. It's it's yeah. foreplay, as the kids call it. And she does this whole like <laughs> dance, <laughs> and then she's like, "Oh, we need to talk." And it's like, "What? Like in what world? Like in what world would you do that? Why would you not just say, hey, we should kind of talk?'" Mm-hmm. So isn't that how we're supposed to start all like important conversations, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? With the sexy ready? strip right. tease, yeah. You know, which is. <laughs> It reminds me there was a photo pic posted earlier this week and it was like a sticker chart for a dad. And it was like, oh my God, if yeah. you do X amount of chores, like here are the things you get. And I think like one of them was like change the diaper five times and you get a beach. Uh And it just showed the dad looking like horrified and the mom looking super excited. And it was like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just one of those things or like, what are we doing here? As parents, mm. what are we doing here as couples where right. we don't have the ability to kind of communicate and we need to kind of like add like we need to add excitement to, you know, we need to spice things up a little bit before we have these talks about the direction our relationship is headed. in. Yep. The the reward for changing the diaper five times is that your child is yeah. clean, you know, because mm-hmm. 
dads are parents too. <laughs> hey, see our episodes on mm-hmm. bad dads, which was about <laughs> a year ago. I remember I read in a magazine sometime, it might have been in style, which we can talk about, uh, but that said you should have serious discussions in the car while he's driving <laughs> so he can't get away. <laughs> that is. They didn't say so he can't get away, but that was heavily implied. Right. <laughs> it's like, so he doesn't have to look at you and so <laughs> he can't escape. So, yeah, just all of this advice we got when that we were is, teenage girls. I mean, if, if it's <laughs> oh, a discussion yeah. I mean, men don't want to have, they may drive into a bridge abutment. Like, they might. Yep. Some men would, mm. yeah. Oh, uh, magazine culture of the 2000s. So. I know. Well, before we, because I do want to talk about In Style Magazine. Is there anything else we want to say about Paris Hilton? Just that. She's you know, and that Stephanie, you addressed this was the idea of like, come and watch this like celebrity you don't like that you like kind of hate watch. Come watch them get killed off on on the big screen and share that on. And like, I have to I mean, I'm not a rich person. I don't know what my life would be like if I had like more money that I could spend in 10 lifetimes and like literally zero responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, very much like I could have been a person who's like, fuck it, I'll just do like a TV show with a friend and we'll act silly or I'll go to every party and have like the paparazzi take pictures of me. Why not? But I I think that we often direct our anger at persons that don't necessarily warrant it or it doesn't, they give us way, they take up way too much headspace in our, in our brains and like they own rent there. And we could be directing our anger towards, I don't know a million other things that are more important. And, you know, I do think the media definitely plays a role in it because it's a lot easier to report on what celebrity showed up to what party and who's dating who than to have like a real engaged debate over like, look at all the ways that you as a person are getting fucked over by like culture and forces that are much larger than your own. And it's made us like a dumber society. Uh, and it's made mm-hmm. us more willing to accept a lot of bullshit that we otherwise, I don't think, would have 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Like, we've definitely been in a very slow decline because mm-hmm. this is what consumes us. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a specifically, like, I, I find it to be objectifying another Mm -hmm. way you know like it's not a sexual objectification it's a destruction of her body you know and you can't get you can't talk about Paris Hilton without talking about like aesthetics and like the ideals for beauty at this time period because she like represented that but also like just this really vacuous representation of this and it just I find it really gross how like how quick people are to hate her because it feels like like she is a real person she has feelings thoughts you know who knows what goes on inside her head but like she's an actual person she's playing a character but it's a character Mm -hmm. that she continues into her daily life you know and it just it's gross how I feel like she is attacked like it makes me And I don't know that much about her, but like I listen to You're Wrong about a lot. And a lot of those episodes are about like Tanya Harding or like um, Mm -hmm. uh, Monica Lewinsky. And those are two very different figures. I'm not comparing what they have done or not done. But just women that I feel like culture has failed in some way. And I feel like she is both a result of that and an example of that, you know? Yeah. And I would love to hear the You're Wrong About episode on her someday, you know? I think we definitely will get it. Well, especially mm-hmm. in recent 
things she kind of has talked about like yes i was playing a character and then looking into the production of this movie she was very aware of how she was perceived by the world and you know Mm -hmm. played into like i guess go watch me die i know that people hate me i might as well like lean into it and do it and i think i don't know holding those two things in your head has Mm got to be got to wear on you in some way yeah some people enjoy being the villain and it could be very Mm -hmm. much like yep i'm the villain i don't mind it um but you know i'm sure there's a part of of her that is like what have i done to deserve this like really like of all the everything else going on especially look at where we were in 2005 like trying to fight two different wars like this is where you want to focus your energy right Mm -hmm. yeah and i feel like you know a lot of times it's like I might as well laugh because it's easier to laugh in public than it is to cry Mm -hmm. in public. So like if this is what's going to keep me in the public eye, then that's what I'm going to do. And I feel like I see a lot of Kim Kardashian doing similar things. I think she's just much more savvy about her Mm -hmm. image than Paris Hilton. I think Paris Hilton is very instinctual about the way she is presented, but I don't think she always anticipates things that are going to kind of backlash Mm -hmm. on her in a way like if she had the business savvy of kim kardashian i think you would probably see them in similar positions right now but but it's probably better for her that she's kind of living more of a Mm -hmm. quiet life i heard she just got married recently Mm -hmm. i don't know and and jen to your point about the vac how a different kind of destruction or a different kind of coveting it's like for you know men would hate her because like oh this is the kind of woman that would never give me the time of day like she's a stuck up bitch that thinks she's too good for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And women would be like, this is the kind of girl that would like, or the kind of woman that would have looked down on me in high school or would try to steal my boyfriend or like, I could never look like that. So therefore it's easy to channel that kind of hatred towards at that point. It is, there is like a grossness. Yeah. And it's like in Assassination Nation, there's a line where she says, you wouldn't think that seeing a nude of someone would make a guy say, yo, I want to kill this bitch. And I feel like this isn't, she is an example of the connection between that, like objectification and violence, you know, and just hatred. And I think this movie kind of tried to capitalize it. But what I hear you guys saying is that it turned you both off too, you know, or just Paris Hilton in general turned you off. Yeah. It just, but to me, it's like, I don't really, I'm not interested in this person and I'm not, I don't really have a lot of interest in celebrity culture anyway. Mm -hmm. So to me, it was like, ah, this person's in this movie. I don't really want to see it because of that, but it's not something that I'm yeah. going to be like, well, fuck this movie and it can go straight to goddamn <laughs> hell. Fuck it all. <laughs> you yeah. sound like a Twitter bot. Man. <laughs> Twitter is definitely. Yeah. I mean, I had, Twitter. I think I had heard it was bad, but I mean, in the two thousands, I was definitely in my, like, I'm not like other girls. <laughs> Same. So yeah. I was, like, I'm not into like Paris Hilton, maybe like other girls are. So I'm just personally not interested in this. And <laughs> right. you know what? shame on me for being that way. Cause I missed out on a fun movie. <laughs> it is fun. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit off air about how I feel like this, this movie gets a bad rap. And Stephanie, you said you feel like you defend this movie a lot, you know? And I think that its mm-hmm. reputation is, is rising probably just because of distance. You know, we're away from mm-hmm. the marketing. I think our cultural ideas about Paris Hilton have changed. And I think that's helped it reading about the movie like kind of looking at the background of it it did okay like it cost a lot of money to make it cost about 40 million before marketing which is a lot (laughs) like that is a lot of money for a b movie without stars 
in it because it's, it's much as the cast is great, like they're not like household names, right? But it like it did okay worldwide, not enough to cover everything, but it did gangbusters on home video. It was like that time where like mm. and I do miss this time, like DVDs would come out and everybody would like flock and like pick up physical media. And Same. I miss that a lot. Like I do miss you know I tried looking for a comedy yeah. to fall asleep to last night, and I think I have every streaming service under the sun, and I fell asleep before I could actually find something I wanted to watch. Yeah. I've been doing that a lot recently, yeah. Um, well, and it's funny, like, is, this is rated R, isn't mm-hmm. it? I think so. Because I feel like... It has to be. And I don't want it... it yeah, j- just judging by the violence and the content. And I'm not saying I want it to be softer. Like, I don't want this to be PG-13. But I feel like a lot of this the target audience for this is younger. And so maybe they just couldn't go see it in theaters or, you know, and so when it was finally available to rent, it's a lot easier because like, yes, these were not household names, but to like CW heads, they absolutely were, you know, but those are also kids that can't drive to the video store or maybe can't drive to the theater. And so couldn't see it until it was out. Um, I also think like, I rented Twilight because I didn't want to go see it in theaters, but I still wanted to see it, <laughs> you know, so there may have been a little bit of that going on too. Um, well, and so speaking of CW, I know we talked a little bit about that already, but it is interesting. Like I found like if it was a character I knew from the CW, it actually softened the blow for me in some ways. Like it made me more likely to go see a movie like this because there was a familiarity there that made me feel more comfortable. Like Mike, you were saying uh, the 80 slashers have actors that you usually don't know. And I do think that makes it scarier. And I think sometimes that was a barrier for me Mm. to watching those movies is like these kids are going to get horribly murdered, but I know they're probably not going to horribly murder Jared Padalecki. And then they do. (laughs) He gets it the worst. Oh my God. Yeah. Let's talk about his death because holy shit. (laughs) I thought I was going to die, but. Vincent provides a nice like hair waxing service first. Oh know. my god, <laughs> I couldn't figure out what he was doing at first, and I was like, "Oh, think about how much that would hurt your eyebrows and your." Oh yeah, if you've ever waxed just fractions of your eyebrows, you know that it hurts. Just think about your entire yeah. face. I've seen forty-year-old virgins, so I understand that it, it hurts. <laughs> yeah, they edited out him saying Kelly Clarkson because I feel like that was. I'm kidding. That didn't really happen, but. That was a thing at the time. Like, that was in 99? No, it would been early 2000s. American Idol. Early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We knew. Kelly Clarkson was a thing in yep. the world, but. Poor I love his death. I personally love the whole mechanism he's put in, the chair with the mask. I think it is a beautiful shot in, like, a Hellraiser-y kind of way, where mm-hmm. it's, like, this whole mechanism that's, like, holding his face in, and then he's getting sprayed with this hot wax that's covering his body, and then we, like pan out and see this room i'm like if this i have not picked up the physical dvd or blu-ray for this but i just feel like it's one of those that should be like the picture on the back you mm-hmm. know what i mean like it is like that shot because it is gorgeous but it's yes. so viscerally upsetting like you just look at that and your skin crawls you know there is so much in this movie. I, I've watched this movie so many times. It's kind of become a movie I have on in the background while I work. I always mm-hmm. stop what I'm doing to fully watch that scene. And there's still like a lot of scenes that make me 
uncomfortable like Carly getting her finger sliced off in the grate or like ripping the glue off her lips like I'm still even after all this time like it gets under my skin oh I know and just like the way that it snips off and it just like spouts blood for and then later it's just like dripping blood out I know it's like oh my god yeah but like the concept of being covered in wax I think that might have been what put me off of this movie what made made it seem too scary because like He's, I wonder how long it would take you to die from that, you know, and yeah. like how long you're still alive sitting at that piano. And that's the kind of thing that like keeps me up because you see his eyes looking and you see his the little tear, the tear. And the thing that I think is so upsetting about that machine is he just has to sit there silently. Like it's like um, Danny's boyfriend in Christian in the bear suit at the end of Midsummer. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, this thing is about to happen. Sorry, spoilers for Midsummer. Like, and there's absolutely nothing you can even say about it you know and that's just horrifying although i feel like one is more and i feel like that was a really large trope of like first decade of 2000s horror especially Mm -hmm. starting around 03 like as you started to see horror start to come to grips with what happened in 2001 and september 11th as you started to see shots from like the war in iraq and the war in afghanistan especially with images of like abu Ghraib, and it became very apparent that we were torturing prisoners of war like we as a country were the ones instigating this torture now that you see this happen a lot in horror where helplessness becomes much more of a thing when you go back and watch like slashers from the golden age of the late 70s early 80s and you look at that second wave of slashers from the late 90s to the very early 2000s the victims typically have a fighting chance like they can either fight back they can run away they're still going to get caught they're still going to get killed but they at least have a fighting chance to get out you start to see in movies like the saw series hostile uh, Wolf, uh, Wolf Creek, which I, you know, movie I still won't watch. Mm-hmm. The Poughkeepsie Tapes, which is a found footage movie of this time Ooh. period, mm-hmm. in that persons are not only chained up, but they're made to be immobile and they're meant to feel every bad thing that happens to them without any ability to escape it. And that I think really becomes a staple of the movies of this era. And it's, we talked about this in our discomfort episode. Like it's, one of my least favorite, if not least favorite, trope in horror movies. And I think that is, like, you just helped me connect what it was that was off-putting about this movie, is I think it reminded me of Hostel. You know, something about, like, I'd probably seen something about this contraption. Because it it is kind of, and it's kind of like the bear trap head thing mm-hmm. in Saw, too. Yeah. And I think I was like, this is like torture porn meets a slasher which i think it is in actually a really good way for this movie like it doesn't lean too too heavily in either direction um but yeah i think that is what made it seem like it was really gonna fuck me up it makes her a great visual later on when uh the dude tries to peel the wax off of him sorry jen and no that's okay (laughs) just get like the exposed like i was not expecting that and i'm like holy shit that is really fucking cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. When his jaw falls, well, he keeps off. going. That's what makes like he does it once, and he's like, "Huh? Let me try mm-hmm. it again and do more." Right. Um, Which like, no, don't I don't do think it. if that were me, I would be able to stop. Like I would keep doing it. 
because I'd just be so like when you get wax on your skin, you yes. just have to keep pulling it. I'd off. be like, yeah. yeah, you're already effed. I might as well. Oh man! And then the tension with him trying to warn him with his eyes, like he's coming oh. for you. Oh, and no. Oh God! Yeah, just the whole like thought, like, and the final shot of him just sitting at the piano and sinking down into the wax. I feel like is a really sad shot too. You know, although mm. I I hope that he's already dead at that point. I would think, but I don't know. Um, I did want to say boob girl that oh. we show. That was a deleted scene where we she has like car trouble and they show one of the brothers picking her up and taking uh. her. So that was kind of supposed to be like, now she's here. Oh yeah. <laughs> molded. I mean, that would make more sense. Although it's And then I think we're supposed to see her later somewhere as one of oh, the like <laughs> mannequins out in the brothel. I love his dedication to, you know, anatomical authenticity you know the boobs like, have to be right they do have you know. to be right or else what are they're we gonna be wearing clothes but it matters <laughs> exactly it does matter uh yeah that's well and that's another like i wanted to talk about just kind of the aughts of it all you know this movie mm -hmm. just screams 2005 in a way that i like now like i probably would have been a little annoyed at the time or maybe even a couple of years after but now it's it's I'm starting to come around to the nostalgia of it, you know, mm -hmm. especially the song. Like, I fucking love My Chemical Romance. That yeah. album is one of my favorites. Yeah. I love that song. I missed out on that whole era of, like, corporate punk. Like, I definitely would have been, like, I've never listened to My Chemical Romance. And people like, what? Like, knowing the kind of music that I listen to. And mm -hmm. I'm sure they have some super, like, what I heard here, I'm like, yeah, it's really catchy. I was excited to hear Interpol. On the soundtrack, like they're, I think, on there after the Disturbed song, like, and they're only in there for a hot second. But Interpol is one of those bands that I don't think gets nearly enough spins. I think they're fucking awesome. They're so good. I was looking for the soundtrack for this on Spotify. I couldn't find like the album, but I'm like, you know what? Someone's definitely made a playlist mm -hmm. with all the songs that are in the movie. Um, and instead, I found that this has quite the the fandom. Uh, Bo and Vincent have quite the mm. quite the fandom. One of the playlists was called like, um, "I am manifesting moving to Ambrose, marrying Vincent, and being a mother figure to Bo and Lester." I'm like, okay, mm. like Ooh. this has a. <laughs> A whole fandom. That that sounds like it could be a monthly topic for us. Yeah, <laughs> person has some, but there was just like multiple group. playlists. Like this is a playlist for Vincent. This is a playlist for Bo. Oh. Like oh, I had no idea the fandom ran uh, that deep. Yeah, interesting. But I did I did find the soundtrack, and I was like, you know what, this laughs. It's it's a good soundtrack. It's very it's just very two thousand five mm -hmm. um, that time period, which is not bad. Like I like again, My Chemical Romance. I am not a huge um, punk or. Like, that's the only really name band that I would mm -hmm. be able to really name from that time period. Um, but I love them. I had a huge crush on Gerard Way. Something about his scream is just, like, the perfect, like, pitched scream. I love it. Also, he's been pretty open about um, sobriety also. I'm not sure if he's still sober, but he talked about it for a little bit. And it was before I got sober. And so just hearing about other people talking about that, I was like, oh, huh, interesting. But yeah, love Yeah, him. and I do miss the, and this is right at the tail end of it, that time where you would get whatever, you know, hot bands or up and coming bands are out during that time and just get them to put like mm -hmm. a bunch of good songs on a CD that people would run out and buy at that point. Like there's, it's definitely missing now. You know, yeah. my daughter and I had a talk because she's been starting to listen to more and more music. Like she really likes Rob Zombie which is really fun. <laughs> um, and if she wasn't in the UK, I probably would have taken her to 
like his upcoming concert in a couple of weeks here. Mm-hmm. But you, I'm like, I don't even know how kids find bands anymore or if kids now like really, and again, this is like old, don't mean to be old man yelling in a cloud, but like do, do the quote unquote, the kids, as we like to say, the <laughs> youths, do they, how do they find music they really love? Like, do they hear a song on TikTok and then want to find everything about that band at that point? Yeah, I was going to say that. But also like, even if you could, that joy of discovery is gone because now you just go to Spotify or YouTube music and their whole discography is in front of you. I think a big part of like falling in love with a band is like, hunting down stuff and like finding mm-hmm. oh here are the rare treasures here are the b-sides here's like the live album that you know and i don't know if we get that anymore yeah <sighs> i feel so <laughs> well old. i was watching the new resident evil on netflix and it's got a lot of songs mm-hmm. in it and i was like hey this billy eilish person i know who she is but i don't know if i knew any of her songs um but because i have the captions mm-hmm. on i see whenever a song comes on it's like hey, i like this soundtrack so i don't know i it still exists but it was definitely a thing back then and like i think about the scream 3 soundtrack for sure which is not one of my favorites but it's one i listened to a lot back then i think the second soundtrack is better but that's, Second Scream has the best needle drop of all time when Sarah Michelle Geller gets thrown to a horrible death and then like it immediately needle drops to like a super upbeat pop punk song by Everclear. <laughs> it's like Everclear, it's yeah. It's fucking perfect. It's so good. Uh, Give me those days and put them in my veins. Just <laughs> Well, and I feel like this is like the kind of the, the transition out of this. Like it's definitely mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. this kind of culture, you know. Um, well, let's talk about Carly, because I agree with you, Stephanie. I think she is a pretty badass final girl. She is, and I think she's one we don't think of. I think she mostly goes forgotten, and honestly, I don't mm-hmm. think people connect her to this movie at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think people remember Elisha Cuthbert. Like, people usually think Paris Hilton, then I think Jared Padalecki, then Chad Michael Murray. I don't think she's someone that people usually connect with this movie, but mm-hmm. I mean, time and time again, she's pretty resourceful like when she has the truck like she is under there like maneuvering the truck trying Mm -hmm. to get out like we see her like when she's tied to the chair she gets out of the chair she like gets her finger up to get attention and when that doesn't work she like fully rips the glue off her lips to scream for help she (laughs) is a fighter right you see that time and time again and then yeah with her relationship with chad michael murray they make a they make a good a good pair with a, a lot of chemistry. And we're he's supposed to be like a bad boy that was just in jail. So that's why he knows how to fight and is scrappy, I guess, and mm-hmm. knows how to use a crossbow question yeah. mark. But <laughs> look, I've seen Hush and I know that crossbows are harder to use than they look. So Or yeah. like uh you're next. I would be oh, like yeah, watching yeah. <laughs> totally <laughs> not your next. Sorry, ready or not. Ready, ready or, or not, not. yeah. Well there's a crossbow in, in your next too. That's true. <laughs> And I would be the one in Ready or Not, like, watching the YouTube video, like, how to use the crossbow. Oh, that's right. I haven't Hiding seen in that the movie bathroom. in so long. <laughs> that movie is so good. Yeah, I think part of what, because I hadn't really considered her a final girl either, and part of me doesn't think, doesn't consider this a slasher, although it very yeah. much is, but it doesn't have I was the, kind of on the fence about that. Exactly. It doesn't quite have the feel of like the slashers like Halloween or like Scream but there is a mass killer there's a final girl there's a terrible place like I feel like if we looked through all of Carol Clover's like 
formal like list I think we could it's definitely a slasher you know it just mm-hmm. has it feels a little closer like I would say it feels like a mix between slasher and torture porn you know yeah well and she's kind of set up as like the girl that's gonna make it out of the town you know like mm-hmm. the one with ambition everyone else is kind of staying behind but yeah. like she's the one mm-hmm. yeah to go in to- the friend group <laughs> although it seems like they're all doing pretty well maybe yeah. just because they're all so hot you right. know <laughs> Dalton worked for a septic tank company. Wade is rich. Not Wade. Blake is rich. Mm-hmm. Wade is kind of going to be the sad townie yeah. boyfriend, I guess. Yeah. Stays- You'll be okay. He's if like- you look like Jared Paladecki, you'll be okay. Life generally treats yeah. you pretty well. Yeah. Well, he's and just then, around yeah. the corner from Dean showing back up, and they just kind of He's got the, the muscle car. Baby. I thought it was interesting. Like, he was driving a muscle car in this movie, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Supernatural was already out at this Maybe point. Maybe a season. Right? A season or two. I know that there's an episode later on where Paris Hilton is a guest star and they make like a House of Wax mm-hmm. kind of little nod, you know? That's she had funny. done like another horror movie episode. too. She had, I think, called like Nine Lives or something like that. Like she had done That's not, that rings know, something else where like... She, she was in Repo the Genetic Opera, I believe, was also. She? I think. And... I think I could be totally wrong, but I remember that being like, oh, why am I in such a crappy movie mm-hmm. kind of publicity, which is, I think, what they were trying to go f- like that same kind of flavor here of like watch Paris die. Yeah. But that feels more I'm more comfortable seeing her in a crappy movie, a crappy in quotation marks movie or like a, a super B, C, D movie. Repo is you know? great. Is it Repo's good? I haven't really seen it. really good. Repo is. Yeah, it is super creative. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been uh, a long she, time since I, I don't a- remember her in it. It's been a lot. I just remember like really enjoying that. And it has a very good cult following to it. Um, really? If there are any listeners that are big musical fans and wanted to introduce that as a comfort mm. horror movie, you and know, by me. all means. I love like, musicals. The, 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 <laughs> it's open. Supernatural yeah. debuted fall, like September of 2005. So it was right around the oh. from this. Okay. Yeah. But Gilmore Girls was yeah. before Supernatural. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was a CW. C- they know him as Dean Forrester. Dean Forrester. That's right. Yeah. With that, that center part. And I'm not going to spoil all of Gilmore Girls mm-hmm. by talking about Jared Padalecki's arch on that show. But some interesting things happen. Um, but yeah, I, I think Carly is... The thing that is impressive to me about her is that she barely wastes any time ripping her lips open. You mm-hmm. know, like, I think I would have maybe tried some other things first before I went that route. But she's like, bam, I hear him up there. I got to get out. And she goes mm-hmm. for it. You know, mm-hmm. like she is very like I think about Sally jumping through the window in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, it's that kind of energy of like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Although it's the twin connection, though. Oh, <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think this was written by twins too. Oh, I wonder if they were trying to work some of their family dynamics out in <laughs> through this movie. I will say the one thing that that her fatal flaw is like never follow the smell, especially in the woods. Like that's that's not going to turn out the way you want it to. She kind of seems to be that kind of person because Paris Hilton is like, you would do this. She's a journalist, <laughs> right. right. She's an investigative journalist. Remember, she's going to, oh, she's going to write right. for InStyle magazine. So her journalistic <laughs> instincts just kicked in at that point. Which I had a subscription to. I was I, a fan of InStyle. 
Mm-hmm. Every horror movie would be a lot shorter and it wouldn't be an hour and 51 minutes. Every horror movie would be a lot shorter <laughs> if people reacted how most of us would in normal everyday life. Like, oh, there's a horrible mm-hmm. smell. We should move away from it, not run towards it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why yeah. they don't move camp. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. There's a closed mm-hmm. sign on this door. We should probably maybe not go in. Oh, there's a dude with his beam lights kind of right at us. Maybe we could like approach the vehicle calmly and ask if he could turn his beams down instead of throwing a beer bottle at them. You know, but then we'd have a lot fewer movies. Right, right. And there are a lot of idiots in the world. There are. You know, like a lot of this, I did crack up at the line where Blake is like, hey, are y'all going to have sex? Because we want to have sex. Can y'all get out of here? like oh that was funny but she didn't Um, check in with his girlfriend to see if she wanted to because the answer would have been no she yeah i want to tell you an important thing about our lives (laughs) and what's gonna happen i gotta check the boom box babe (laughs) oh blake my song stopped playing i thought she had stopped it for a minute like i just thought she had some kind of i don't know remote or paris hilton powers or something but yeah yeah I did want to talk, and we've talked a lot about Paladecki and Chad Michael Murray, the dynamic between like the nice guy and the uh, quote unquote bad boy. Because Paladecki mm-hmm. is like very much coded as like the nice guy in this movie. His character is an asshole. Yeah. He is not like your typical supportive, like good dude boyfriend. Like he's a prick throughout the movie. And he does like little things that add up. It wasn't until. I think what when it hit me was when they go back to the garage and he just like takes the fan belt and it's like, oh, I'll just leave a few bucks. Like doesn't know if it covers mm-hmm. like through. So throughout the movie, like a he's not really super supportive of his girlfriend. Like she has mm-hmm. this incredible opportunity. And the only thing he can think of is like how it's going to affect him. Like that's red flag. Number one, like, what about me? You know, like, and Mm. it sounds like he could very much go up to New York and like live with her and live in one of the most exciting cities in the whole world in your early twenties. Or, and I love Gainesville, Florida. He can stay. (laughs) And I I do love Gainesville. It has the home of my all time favorite bands all come from Gainesville. Or you can stay in like a swamp town. I mean, you tell me <laughs> in your early 20s yeah, yeah. what's better. I think they do try to play it off like he has self-awareness. Like he's like, oh, this is the third time I've been an asshole mm-hmm. today. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. And it seems to be like a well-worn right. dynamic because Carly jokes with him to kind of relieve the tension as they like walk to the house of wax. So like mm-hmm. he is an asshole. But the thing yeah. about apologizing, if you apologize and don't change your behavior, you're still an mm-hmm. asshole. That's when it hit yeah, me when, right. he, like, when like Bo... It's obvious like Bo is like flirting with his girlfriend and she's just being like normal. Like she's mm-hmm. not, you know, mm-hmm. giving it back. She's not trying to do any, you know, and he's like, oh, it looks like someone's a member of your fan club. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, what the fuck? Like, and he right. says Dalton too. Like she has yeah. control over it. He's like first mm-hmm. Dalton, then this guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like wandering through his house like, oh, I need to use your bathroom. I'm just going to like wander room to room and touch all your stuff. Like who does that? Like that is an asshole where yeah. Chad Michael Murray's character is like, I think it's like revealed that he didn't steal the car like the doofy dude stole the car <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and he refuses to leave his sister behind. Mm-hmm. he's a lot more reliable 
Uh, and I think it's yeah. like interesting where you have like the character you're supposed to cheer for who gets off and then like the bad boy who yeah. maybe it's because of all the mistakes that he's made and maybe having that lived in experience of being a bit of a fuck up that he's able to a recognize a bad situation much quicker. Like something's mm-hmm. hinky here. It's not right. And also like not just run off and think about himself. Yeah. I think this was a bit of a thing in the 2000s because Jared Padalecki's character, Dean, in Gilmore Girls is kind of the same way. He's introduced as this good guy and kind of shows red flag toxic mm-hmm. behaviors as their relationship goes on. And I would say mm-hmm. same thing for Chad Michael Murray in One Tree Hill. Mm-hmm. He's like Lucas Scott, the like good guy. And then you kind of see that there's actually like a bad boy character who is much better or like mm-hmm. Jess in Gilmore Girls. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, you can't be super hot and an asshole at the same time, you know. Jared Paladecki's character would definitely tell his girlfriend her outfit makes her look fat without being asked whether it did or not. That's Uh, how I would describe him. I feel like I bring a lot of Sam Winchester and a lot of Tristan into how I view these because I read him more as kind of an idiot who doesn't respect boundaries, which is, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's okay, but, like, I definitely think that it's, like, that nice guy covering the secret asshole kind of thing. And it's, like, there's a resigned quality to Tristan's bad boyness. you know? He's, like, this is how people see me. This is how they're always going to see me. Yeah. I might as well just be this, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just so much easier. Which I kind of, I want to maybe use that to transition mm-hmm. into talking about Bo and Vincent because mm-hmm. I think there's very similar dynamics too. And I think like theirs is more on the surface because I think it's much more about appearance because, you know, Bo's kind of hot in a dirty way, you know, not, you know, in a grimy kind of gross 2005 way. <laughs> and he went on, he was Bobby in Cougar Town. I think the ex-husband oh. in Cougar Town, which is an underappreciated oh. gem of a show say that i've heard it's, it's really good. good yeah that i was think a, he plays both vince that was a and um network show. no i'm saying busy phillips oh, is on that and she's mm-hmm. in dawson creek yeah yeah sorry go ahead <laughs> so i think that same actor plays vincent yes and Bo. oh mm-hmm. really okay. interesting well i mean oh yeah brian van holt now i can see his face because I'm looking at W <laughs> IMDb, not because he's here. He just like creeped out of a Lego cellar door in my room. Um, yeah, I think this is really interesting. I wanted to talk about like the possible ableism here because uh-huh. there's this very clear dynamic of he has a facial disfigurement, which means he is ruined for life. Like he is going to be the evil twin. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying the movie is, I feel like, positioning him as that. Like we don't see his face till the very end. We don't really find out about this. But like when until later in the story, but when you see those two kids in the high chair, it's like one is good and one is bad. And I was curious about your thoughts about this high chair situation too. And because I have a friend who is a behavioral analyst and she says that there are like, I think she calls it a certain kind of chair where you, some, some kids are extremely violent and you do have to restrain them in order to protect them from themselves and to protect other kids. And so I was like, am I too quick to judge these parents? Because I could only imagine how hard it would be to parent a child with an extreme emotional disturbance. But I mean, I think it's pretty clear that this is an abusive situation from the first. Yeah, time. I've had to. I mean, it's 
he also punches yeah the i've had to do restraints yeah. on persons before mm-hmm. like in my old career like and i worked as like a behaviorist for like a, not even a behaviorist but like doing aba for like a short time and i was not good at it so it did not stick for very long and i did work with like one child in particular that could be really violent around meal times and a lot of times it was just Mm -hmm. like i'm just going to remove the stimulus for right now and we're gonna practice something else and then come back to it um Mm -hmm. again i joked about 70s parenting but that's kind of like a lot of what it is um Mm -hmm. but also like the restraints that were in place weren't there necessarily to protect the child. It was definitely there. Like they not only like put them in like the physical restraints, but they reinforced them with like duct tape and make it as uncomfortable as possible for him. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like, Bo is the one that you find out is the nasty one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's his idea and he convinced mm-hmm. Vincent to right. go along with it because Vincent I think you suggest do the wax yep. sculptures so he... Bo is the one that like yeah. would have been the having like the the kind of like the violent outburst at the beginning of the the movie which is interesting because when you mm. see it later on like he is very much able to at least hide who he is and he's very much able to like kind of mimic what it would be like to be a person in just everyday normal society I didn't catch yeah. that, that it was Bo that was the violent one in the high chair. I guess that's partly why they didn't show the face. It's not important. It's, it's, it's doesn't really play in in any big way. And just like it's supposed to be yeah. an aha moment. But Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It also reminds me of the Fantastic Simpsons Treehouse of Terror when Bart's evil twin is Bart is actually the evil twin. Yeah. And the, the one that's in the attic is the good one, yeah. um, which is yeah. awesome. Restraints are always supposed to be like a last resort and be as like as Mm -hmm. least restrictive as possible and what you saw there as a kid like if the kid's not ready to have breakfast at that time then don't give him breakfast at that time like figure something Mm -hmm. else out like maybe have a snack to go like something that'll be easier you know and i do feel bad for vincent i mean yes he is a killer he kills a lot of people he's not a good person but you get the sense that he's grown up with just this horrific abuse and like how else would you see the world mm-hmm. growing up in that kind of environment, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think Carly tries to, when she's trying to talk him down, she's like, this wasn't your idea. Like you're the, you're the artist. Right. Right. Yeah. Please don't kill me. <laughs> really? You're the good one. Yeah. Which yeah. kind of plays into this whole like dynamic with her and Nick too, which I actually like this thematic parallel kind of a lot I like that they don't lean as heavy as I think they could have into this mm-hmm. whole twin thing you know um, but I like the idea that one is the good child and one is the bad and not necessarily even twins but I've definitely talked about that kind of family dynamic in my own therapy not necessarily with my brother but just like people in a family that are favored for various reasons you know and that does create mm-hmm. resentment that you carry mm-hmm. for a long time you know um, yeah yeah, because Carly does explain that to Wade, too, because he's like, what is Wade's or what is uh, Chad Michael Murray's problem? And she's like, you know, from a young age, like my parents just kind of started to compliment me and ask him like why he couldn't be more like his sister. And you see that in the first scene, like, why can't you be more like your brother mm-hmm. and what that turns into? Yeah. But I mean, what you know, as Carly is a child in that situation, too, like mm-hmm. what how is she supposed to really 
combat that, you know, and I think once you become an adult, it's easier to see that more clearly. But like, if you grow up as the favorite child, like, a lot of times you don't realize it, you know, Mm -hmm. unless it's like an extreme dichotomy. But, you know, it's just it's a complicated relationship that I think, you know, well, I wanted to, Mike, you have recreating. Yeah, I mean, that's what Vincent is trying to do. Like, what have they done? They've and, and it's a town of yeah, wax. It was just a really <laughs> cool visual, and it's a very cool reveal. Like when they, when she goes back into the church the second time, and you realize that everybody there is like a wax figure. That's a super mm-hmm. cool reveal. Like it definitely works for a, a great horror movie set piece. But what are Vincent and Bo trying to do? Like they've murdered everyone in town, and. They are just like recreating their town individual by individual with all Mm -hmm. of the warm and fuzzy things about it. And they're Mm -hmm. trying to like recreate a community space for themselves like that. At the end of the day, they only have one another and they're looking to get that nostalgia. They're looking for that kind of companionship. And what, what does community provide? Well, community provides this feeling of safety, hopefully. You know, it feels like a place that you can be comfortable in, be yourself in, and be and feel security. And that's what they're trying to do here with each um, subsequent addition to their their collection. So uh, I find that like a really interesting choice as opposed to just like, hey, it's a museum with like a bunch of wax figurines in it yeah. that we've recreated. Like there seems to be a purpose behind it. Yeah, they're kind of like a day real life situations like the old lady like pulling the the curtain back yeah uh, and also like this whole town is wax but there's like real puppies in the pet store i was wondering about mm-hmm. that i was like where'd these puppies come from i guess it was child of the doggy and the wax just like keep them <laughs> keep them in the in the pet store and also mm-hmm. does Bo just hang out at his mother's funeral mm-hmm. just like right. waiting for people <laughs> to come by exactly and i can imagine him like like creating the preacher's wax face like just with that like smirk on his face like oh what are you doing (laughs) just perpetually waiting for somebody to burst in i was wondering about the mechanics of all of this too because we know that they've been pulling Mm -hmm. people off of the interstate um and and there's a there's a whole like psycho vibe to this too which i kind of I really enjoy like kind of the the thought behind it. Like we could really deconstruct the motivations of all of this, you know. Um, but I was thinking, like, how did they kill everybody? Was it like a children's of the corn kind of situation? Like, surely they don't just create those wax things like overnight. Like that takes a lot of time. You can only get one person in that machine at one time. Like, I was just wondering about just everything that went into creating all of this also how do you make a fucking house out of wax like what do you stand on <laughs> you know i don't know yeah. it's just really interesting so <laughs> uh so if anybody has uh, is a wax scientist out there and would like to kind of in give us some insight on that i would be interested um was well, there anything else we want to talk about before we move i'm on? good all right <laughs> And now it's time for an uplifting moment. This is where we share any grounding or coping techniques and any self-care that have been particularly effective for us. Grounding and coping techniques are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help us get through the tough days and the tough moments. And self-care is anything that makes us feel good or feel better. I have been watching Physical Season 2. It's great. The 
last episode was not my favorite, but it was still good. But there's an episode where she goes, I don't want to spoil anything, but she goes to a recovery center and it's just like one of the best depictions of recovery or treatment that I've ever seen on TV. I was like sobbing through the entire thing. It's so good. I highly recommend this show. It's about like, it's supposedly about exercise and like aerobics and it looks like it would be glow just with jazzercise, but it's a lot more about like eating disorders and control and like, like just relationships with yourself and like negative interjects. It's, it's fantastic. I'm loving it so much. So I watched that and that's been, that's really kind of helped me take myself out of some, some of the shit going on right now. So so that's me. Yeah. I don't have too much this week. It's like the first week where uh, my wife and daughter travel overseas to visit family. And then I go join them in a few weeks myself. So it's that I, I look forward to this time of year a lot because I have the whole house to myself and literally all of the little projects that we've put off just because life gets busy and chaotic. Like during the summer, I'm only working like 10 hours a week tops, if that. So I can knock through a lot of the household projects. And like the first, night they were gone i just did four or five like very small things that like probably could have done at any point but it just felt really satisfying to kind of knock through them and it's like you know right before we started recording like i you know shot my wife a message like we have new toilet seats and she was super excited for that so that is <laughs> you know my life right now the joy is in the toilet basically is if you want to <laughs> nice <laughs> uh, i've kind of been getting back into journaling it had been a while because as a teen like my parents looked through my journal so even like kind of getting back into it i would notice that i would like self-censor a lot and it kind of took a while for me to like fully just be able to get everything down on paper and it just really helps to get it all back and just take a step back mm -hmm. and read it and i just feel like it is so therapeutic and makes so much sense of things Totally. Do you use prompts or do you just kind of write about your day kind of thing? A mix of both. Like mm -hmm. I kind of found that I would like to make, I liked making lists and then some days I just kind of do a stream of consciousness brain mm -hmm. dump. So definitely a mix of both. I do. Mine are definitely more stream of consciousness. Like I do a full page most of them start with I'm tired because I write in the morning <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like you can barely even read what I write because yeah. I really just kind of scribble you know as the words are pouring out but I find it really helps me a lot too mm -hmm. um, especially like it like with writing it's helped me just start writing with a blank page too you know because mm -hmm. sometimes that can be really intimidating I remember always feeling like I used to need to write about something important and it mm -hmm. needed to make sense when, and you know. Like for an audience almost. Exactly. Like what if someone comes back and looks at this? Like it's got to be grammatically correct. Yeah, exactly. So and letting go of that. <laughs> right. And just writing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. His journals are for you, you know, yeah. and if you want to share them with people, you can, but you don't have to. I do like looking, like paging through and looking at all the colors because I use a different color pen for every day. So that's cool. That makes me really happy too. I've noticed like that's a hack too. If you have to write a bunch of stuff, like just using a brightly colored pen sometimes just, just helps me actually do it a little bit. But, uh, well, we want to hear from you. Are you a wax scientist? Do you have an evil twin? Are you the evil twin? And if you were Rory Gilmore, would you choose Jared Padalecki or Chad Michael Murray? Obviously Jared Padalecki. Although, I don't know. 
That would be a tough decision. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know what high school Jen would say about that. Um, or just what's on your mind. You can answer these questions and more by following us at socials on Pod. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group, which is a private and moderated space to share about the things we talk about on this episode or anything else that might be on your mind. And you can email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you want to share privately. And if you have a spare moment, please leave us a rate and review on Apple iTunes. It really helps other people find the pod and it makes us feel good. Thank you to those who have already left us reviews. It is, it really means a lot to us. And our homework question for this week, have you ever been to a wax museum? And if so, what was it like? Is Jared Paddle with you there? Let's see if not. Sorry. <laughs> I'll stop. That's my last one. All right. Um, and next up for us, we are embarking on a new theme for the month of August. It's another Patreon request theme and one I'm super excited about. We are going to be talking about toxic fandom and we're kicking it off with misery. Yay, Yay. misery. Yes. <laughs> nice. That's a good pick for it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that was a Patreon suggestion. And I was like, ah, that's a great choice. Also, I love that. But I might read the book again. Well, if I have time. But if that's not enough for us of us for you, Mike, what is going on in the world of Patreon? So it's a hellish landscape full of, <laughs> full of despair. Not Patreon, the world. <laughs> First off, let's welcome our newest patron. Let's welcome Justin to the mix. He just signed on. Hey, Justin. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Yeah, if you go to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast, you can become a patron of our show. It's a way to help support us. We have three different tiers, and at every tier, you get um, like unlock different bonus posts, whether it's like a full bonus show each month where we wax wax rhapsodic about any movie or topic that we want for the month july we're having a little bit of fun and we're going to be recording an episode on the uh who we find to be the most attractive people or the hottest hunks <laughs> in horror we have our medicine cabinet at a different tier which gives you uh a little bit of an insight into what all of us are reading or watching or listening to or playing at the moment so we talk about that, just some stuff for every, it's kind of like your staff picks on the shelf when you would go to the old school video uh, rental store. And then our third tier at 10 bucks a month is you get like the treatment plan, which is where I talk about different characters in horror and different maybe mental illnesses they suffered from and how you might treat them. Or every now and then, instead of doing that, we'll do like a commentary of a movie. And we have other stuff that we're kind of sprinkling in there as well. We also have a one-time tier at $50, which you pay it once. And then after that, uh, you can lower the tier at that point where you get to pick the movie and the topic that we're going to cover. And I'll say right now, if as of this posting, if you have not heard from me, shoot me a message or shoot Jen a message at the email address for us or shoot me a message over on Patreon. I think I've reached out to everybody and have a good handle on it, um, but we've done a bunch of them and I know it can be a little unwieldy and I don't want anyone mm -hmm. to feel like, hey, what happened? So if you have not heard yeah. from me by the time this episode posts, let me know. We should be able to get everybody in by the end of the year, um, at least for who has done it. Like we've gotten way more response to that than I anticipated, um, mm -hmm. which is great. So again, patreon.com 
slash psychoanalysis podcast. It's the way to support the show, uh, help us with our research materials uh, and all that other stuff. Oh, all right. Well, speaking of, let's wrap up with some plugs. Uh, Stephanie, where can we find you online? And what is coming up for Books in the Freezer? Also, is there anything that you're reading recently that you'd like to recommend? Because I'm looking for some new titles. Um, well, I'm reading a book that is not coming out, I think, until October, but it's called The Weight of Blood. It's a YA carry retelling, <gasps> uh, but it's kind of based around like the very real thing of segregated proms, which I guess are hmm. still a thing in places in the South. Huh. Um, so it is about this girl who was passing for white and then kind of gets outed as being black and doesn't she doesn't know how to really do that or fit in and maybe starts getting telekinetic powers Ooh. you know That's <laughs> it's been really good and it kind of has the like instead of the newspapers there's like a podcast that's investigating it several years later so it mm. does kind of have like the way it was written the um epistolary style a bit that it mm. goes in and out of um, but that's awesome. by tiffany d jackson called the weight of blood nice and you said it's coming out in october i think so sweet i'll look for it then and what's uh, up with books in the freezer? Well, I usually, if you haven't listened, books in the freezer, we do episodes kind of on horror subgenres and recommend horror books within that subgenre. I think the next episode that'll be up is with Paul Tremblay, um, mm. author of the upcoming Paul Bears Club, and uh, we talk about horror with unreliable narrators. Ah, interesting, oh. cool. And where can we follow you if we want more information? Um. I am on TikTok at Books in the Freezer. Uh, Instagram should be Books in the Freezer. And then Twitter's the one that's different with Books mm. Freezer Pod. Ah, yeah. Twitter, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Twitter. <laughs> awesome. So check that out. That's a really fun podcast about lots of horror fiction that I have gotten lots of great recommendations from, too. Okay. So. And we, you came on and talked I did. about uh, the women of Stephen King. So I did, that yeah. That was a while ago, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we haven't aged a day since then, though, no. have we? <laughs> Same old sprightly. That's right, yes. <laughs> what, what's a noun? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, where can we sure. find you? So you can find my other show, The Pod and the Pendulum, everywhere you get your podcast. Uh, that is where we cover horror movie franchises, where... Every right now, we're covering the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. <laughs> so, as of right now, we should have like the first three movies are covered. We did two episodes on part one, really fun episode on part two. Uh, Chewy Walrus and myself, like he was our guest on that week. We had a really fun, it's a fascinating series to cover because it's just so much all over the map and mm -hmm. our third uh, entry should be up by the time this posts or about a third of the way through. So if you like, you know, like a really kind of like deep look at different horror movie franchises, like how the sausage gets made, what, you know, what the thematics are in kind of like a lot of humor sprinkled in like we are not a show that is like and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened which is my pet peeve um <laughs> when like there's like a, a show that's as long as the movie that just is a long plot recap and nothing else um mm -hmm. yeah i think you would really like what we do um if you love halloweenies you would like us a lot that's how i would basically put yes it. so yeah pot on the pendulum everywhere you get your podcast <laughs> 
And you can find me at Jim Ferratu on socials. You can also find me co-hosting the Losers Club podcast, which is a podcast about Stephen King. We just finished uh, recording an episode on 1408, which was super fun. And I said in the episode, I actually forgot which show I was taking notes for and started analyzing Mike in the, not um, not our Mike, but the Mike Enslin in the movie. So that was really fun. We're also just covering Everything's Eventual. And the next book is from a Buick 8 before it's just Dark Tower all over the place for the rest of the year probably. So yay. Um, you can also find me co-hosting the White Ladies in Crisis podcast where we're talking about physical. Um, just talked about that in our uplifting moment. And that's been really fun to talk about. And yeah, that's me. And that's our episode on House of Wax. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. So much fun to revisit this movie, too. Uh, thank you for letting me get to be my odds trash self. <laughs> oh, I anytime. There are tons of odds movies we could talk about, so come <laughs> back anytime. <laughs> and uh, listeners, thank you for spending time with us. Please make sure to take care of yourself and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we're, and we're all out of all out bubblegum. Bubble bubble Yay. I want to put Helena on at the end. Yeah. <laughs>